we are ready to go. And we're glad that you're all here this morning. And those in a listening audience who are listening to this message, whenever it might be, uh, Daniel gets it up on online. Uh, we pray, and I pray, that you had a wonderful Christmas. And it's just the, the, the day after. So we're still, a lot of people are still in the festive Christmas spirit and leading into the end of 2021. But we're glad you're here. And this morning, we are going to talk about one more topic of discussion, excuse me, in heaven. We're going to answer the question, do heaven's citizens know what's happening on earth right now? If you can't see that, if you didn't have it up there, it's a great picture. It's got a picture of a, the world. Do heaven's citizens know that, about the happenings on earth right now? Now, I want to play a little game real quick, okay? I want you to close your eyes, okay? Close your eyes and imagine for a moment that you're dead. <laughs> Very sobering, isn't it? Merry Christmas for me. Imagine that you are dead. You died in a tragic car accident. And to your relief, you awaken to the pearly gates, as God had promised all followers. St. Peter greets you, and he has a clipboard in his hand. And on that clipboard is a list. And gratefully, your name is on that list. Then he hands you a key to your specific room. He gives you a white robe, a crown, then he gives you a ticket. And you understand in your mind why you got the white robe and you got the crown, but you ask Peter, St. Peter, is everything okay? Why did you give me a ticket? Peter responds, oh, it's for the, the grand movie tonight. You aren't going to want to miss it, he says. In fact, it's a double feature. The first movie is a tragedy. It stars your friend who was in the car with you on that tragic night of that accident who didn't make it here and is now in hell, he says. In fact, it's a true horror story. The other film is about you, and it stars, it stars your mate, your children, and all of your family. And the climatic scene of that film is your own funeral. I think you're really going to like it, he says. But you better get here early. It's a sold-out crowd, and all of heaven is going to be there to see this film. You can open your eyes now. Just imagine that. Now, I can, I'm sure like you, I can appreciate... Uh, that in heaven, there's not going to be a big, giant drive-in movie theater with our individual lives playing across the screen. I can appreciate that. That'll have a presentation of our life. But the real question is, do people in heaven know what is happening on earth or even much less in hell? Okay, that's the question. A lot of people do wonder about that. I've wondered that. I'm sure you have wondered about that as well. And we're going to try to answer that question as we wrap up this discussion about heaven. Do heaven citizens really know what's happening here on earth right now? But this morning, I want to begin by giving you the answer to the question and then providing several scriptures to go along with it. And the answer, I believe, is absolutely yes, they do. People in heaven, heaven citizens do know what is happening on this earth right now now before that gives you into a frantic uh, uh mode that oh and ethel or whoever is watching through your window that's not what we're talking about okay i don't believe they're they're sitting there watching over every single solitary move that you make but they do understand what is going on on the earth much less in hell and we can look at four key scriptures that can give us some insight on this subject 
The first scripture is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. This is a very popular verse, many times used to defend the idea that people in heaven do know what's going on on earth. Look at it with me. He, the writer says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. But I believe, though, as good as a passage as that is, I don't think that passage really tells us whether or not people can truly in heaven can truly understand what's happening right now on this earth. The writer, though, when was writing this, he was simply saying, if you look at the verses in the previous chapter, that great hall of hall of fame of, of, of saints that's listed, he's saying, considering these great men and women of faith that had come and gone in the way they lived their lives, we ought to demonstrate those same kinds of faith in following their example that's what he was talking about i don't think this had to do really with un, with the question at hand this morning but however there are th uh, three other passages that seem to indicate clearly that people in heaven do know what's happening on earth and one example is the story we've been through this till i've been blue in the face during bible prophecy and earlier uh, teachings on heaven uh the rich man and lazarus we know that story like the back of our hand in luke chapter 16 you know, he told, that, he told that story. Two men who lived two totally different lives. Lazarus, the poor individual, and the rich man, the servant. And the Bible says when they died, they immediately both went to their respective locations. Uh, Lazarus went into Abraham's bosom, into paradise, because of his faith in God and in Christ. And the rich man, we know, when he died, he ended up in Hades. And both were very conscious of what was happening. But what's interesting in this story is Abraham knew the sufferings of the rich man that was in Hades. And also, likewise, the rich, the, uh, rich man in Hades, he was very much aware of what was going on with Lazarus in paradise, in Abraham's bosom. Of, cor of course, even if people in heaven know what's happening in hell, does that mean they know what's happening on earth as well? That's the question we're answering, and I believe it is a yes Turn over to Revelation chapter 6, okay? Um, we see here the, the context is the tribulation saints who are martyred. This is the chapter 6. The beginning is when Jesus Christ starts opening the sealed judgments, and we get to this fifth seal. And look what John writes in Revelation 6, 9. He says, When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. Who are these people? I just answered a minute ago. Um, these are the Christians who were martyred, who were slain during the tribulation time. John says he saw them in heaven. And look at verse 10 now. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? They knew exactly by this verse what was going on on earth. Now, one final example. Uh, heaven saints and the salvation of the unsaved. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees. And he was saying, you Pharisees, you got it all wrong. He's saying, you hate sinners. You don't, you know, you don't like them whatsoever. 
And of course, the Pharisees, everyone was a sinner except themselves. You know, they found no flaws whatsoever in their lives. Everyone else, though, was a sinner. They hated sinners. They did everything they could to keep sinners out of heaven. But Jesus said, God is not like, is not like you whatsoever. God doesn't hate sinners. He loves sinners, doesn't he? And he rejoices when they come to salvation. We know that. And in order to emphasize that point, uh, in Luke 15, Jesus told the three parables, the parable of the lost uh, sheep, of the lost coin, and the story of the lost son, the prodigal son. We know those stories very well. And the point of all these parables, they're all the same. When you lose something of value, you don't hate it or you curse it, do you? I certainly don't. Something that's really important, significant. If I lose it, I'm not going to start cursing it and, and hate it. I'll oh, forget about it, that darn thing, and blah, 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 blah. No. Instead, what do you do? You search for it diligently, very carefully, because it's of great value, and you want to repossess it once again. And I put a, a little note in here in quotations, Gary's hearing aid. i never forget when he first got those hearing aids. I don't know if it was here in a parking lot somewhere. One of them fell out. And Gary, in the doctor's office, thank you back there. And he searched around frantically for it, and he prayed to Jesus, help me find this valuable piece of equipment I need. And he found it. You didn't think he cursed it and went on about his business? No, he searched diligently for it, and he found it and he praised God for it. That would be the same thing with any of us, anything of any value whatsoever. We would do the same thing. Jesus was saying God was, was like that. He doesn't hate lost people. They are people of value to him. God loves sinners, and what does he do? He searches for them, doesn't he? And God rejoices when he finds them. In fact, that is what Jesus said in Luke 15, verses 7 and verse 10. He says, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Then skip to verse 10. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, like most of you, we've read that passage many times. I've read that passage many, many times. Have you paid a close attention about the details about rejoicing, though? This is key because many people misinterpret this and miss this. Who rejoices in heaven when an unsaved person becomes saved? We know God rejoices. We know that because I just said it a minute ago, and the Bible teaches that. We've also heard the angels rejoice, but it doesn't say they rejoice. Here, maybe they do, maybe they don't. We don't know that. It says there is a joy in the presence of the angels when a sinner repents. Who is it that is uh, rejoicing in the presence of sinners? It's you. It's me. It's the Christians that are listening out there. It's those people that one day, those who've already gone on to be in heaven, and one day we'll be in the same like way manner. Either we die first or the rapture happens. Those who are left who are who repent and come to faith in Christ, we're the ones who are going to rejoice, not the angels in the presence of the angels. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. People in heaven are aware of what happens on the earth. But here's, an, here's the other underlying question. What about what happens in hell, okay? Are citizens in hell aware of what's going on with the captives in hell? If they rejoice of the salvation of the unsaved, do they repent 
of the horrific punishment that awaits unbelievers? Is it possible that people in heaven could see the horrors of hell? But let's talk about hell for just a moment, understanding the term hell. And this is something else that we're going to go over the three Greek words of hell. And you're like, oh, no, Stephen. Again, we've been through this about three or four times. Well, I could save us about five minutes if somebody can name the three Greek words used in the New Testament for hell. Well, that's one. So I'm sorry, you're, you, don't, you lose the question. You've got to have all three. So we're going to go through them again, okay? We're going to get this right, okay? All right. And they're very simple words, you know, that, that most Bible teachers do teach about. The three Greek words for hell. The English word hell is actually a translation of three different Greek words, meaning three uh, with different meanings in the Greek New Testament. And the first one, Donna got it right. Kudos, Hades, all right? This refers to the temporary location for the unsaved. Notice I said temporary, okay? When an unsaved person dies, they immediately go into, well, down, not up down thumbs down there they go to this place called hades just like the rich man did in luke 16 23 look at what it says in hades he lifted up his eyes jesus said being in torment and saw abraham far away and lazarus in his bosom hades isn't a neutral place a way station it's not purgatory roman catholics listening it's not purgatory because there is no purgatory plain and simple you don't like it too bad all right it is a place of real physical suffering all right but it's not the final place for the unsaved it's the immediate and temporary place for the unsaved until that final judgment and then the second greek word for hell tartaros not tartar sauce okay but if you want to remember it that way that's fine hey use earthly things and tartar sauce who likes tartar sauce with their fish i mean people do okay tartaros okay it's used only one time in the entire Bible, and that's 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4. Look at it with me. Peter writes, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment. These are fallen angels. If you go back in Genesis chapter 6, fallen angels who committed a particular heinous act, they came down and cohabitated, and had relations with women okay uh there's a group of fought these are a group of fallen angels right now that are in some undisclosed location you know a seed of tartar sauce or something tartaros it is a place of complete darkness waiting their final judgment but while they are waiting but what will that final judgment be it's the third word translated hell in the bible that is the lake of fire or gehenna gehenna okay just as Hades is the temporary home of all the unsaved, Gehenna, though, is the final destination, the final dwelling place for all of the unsaved. The Bible says that after the great white throne judgment uh, and, the, and the destruction of this present heaven and earth and the great white throne judgment, that all unbelievers are going to stand in front of the judge Jesus Christ for what they thought were good works to get them to a a, an eternal place in heaven they're going to be turned away because they never accepted the gospel they never accepted christ um, all of these in hades will be cast into the lake of fire the question is what is hell like one thing you need to understand about hell is it is 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 that just like heaven is an actual physical 
location. Just like the rich man and Lazarus in hell described being, quote, in verse 23, far away. Then in verse 24, he says, I'm in agony in these flames. Then in verse 26, he says, being separated from heaven by a great chasm fix. Um, I want to talk about specifically hell for just a moment. You're like, we got to keep talking about hell. Well, let, guess what? Jesus talked about hell more than he did heaven. So guess what? If Jesus can do it, so can I. All right. So it's very important. This should be not something to scare us. We have nothing to fear, do we, church? Not a thing to fear, nor does a listening audience out there who are believers. But for those who are not believers, this should be very troubling. This is what is going to await, await every single person who has said to Jesus, I don't need you. I don't need your blood. I can do things just fine on my own. Uh, unfortunately, they're not going to like what's going to happen. And the Bible teaches about hell. Now, I got so worked up, I lost my place. Let me get back here. All right. Um, three descriptions of hell. That's what I want to get into, okay? Uh, what we find in the Bible. First of all, hell is a place of eternal physical torment, all right? It's not just a place of spiritual suffering. That very much is so. It's a place of physical suffering as well. Remember the rich man in Luke 16, 24? Look what he said. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he might dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. Unfortunately, though, some theologians, they try to turn down the temperature of hell. You know, it's a try to turn it down to just make it a little bit less uh, uncomfortable. You know, they'll say, well, uh, we believe in hell, but we can't believe in a God who's going to torment people there forever and, and ever. So we believe that God throws them into the lake of fire, and then they cease to exist. They're destroyed. That's called a doctrine of annihilationism. False doctrine. Does the Bible teach that? Absolutely not. It does not teach that whatsoever. The Bible says the punishment of hell is eternal. Look at Revelation 20 and verse 10. And quickly, before I do that, this is after the millennium, the thousand-year reign of Christ establishing his, his government and fulfilling prophecy to Israel. And at the end of the millennium, Satan must be released for a short time to deceive the nations. And look what happens in verse 10. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Notice in that verse, though, interestingly, in that verse, the beast and the false prophet, they weren't thrown in there when Satan was in the millennium. When were they thrown into the lake of fire? At, after Christ's second coming, a thousand years earlier. What does it say? That they're still there right now? At that, they were, at that time, still there, being tormented day and night. Not where they were, but where they are being tormented day and night forever and ever they weren't annihilated they're still there being tormented there's a word that is translated forever in the greek is called ionos ionos and interestingly that greek word is also used to describe the eternality of heaven just like it is here of hell it's used to describe both the fact is just as the pleasures of those who love the lord and know christ as savior the pleasures of the saved will be unending 
in heaven and the horrors of hell for all unbelievers will be unending as well. Number two, a truth about description of hell is hell is a place of indescribable loneliness. Hell is a place of indescribable loneliness. Many people say, well, hell can't be that bad. You know, I think I'll go there and party because that's where all my friends are going to be at. I got news for you people out there who think that. You may think that, but I got news for you. Hell is a place of complete, utter darkness and loneliness. Your buddies might be there, but you won't know it. You won't know it one bit whatsoever. There are no parties in hell. In fact, Jesus said in Luke 13, 28, it will be a place of weeping and of gnashing of teeth. Even if your friends are there, you definitely won't know it because it's a place of complete darkness in Matthew 8, 12. And three, the third description of hell, hell is a place of no return. Abraham said it this way in Luke 16, 26. He told the rich man, and besides all this, between us and you, there is a great chasm fixed so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able to, and that none may cross over from there to us. Again, I always wonder, why would a person in heaven, knowing what's going on in hell, why would they want to cross over to go to hell? You know, but anyway, maybe there's some idiot out there that might want to do that, but that makes no sense to me. But anyway, there's a great chasm fixed, okay? They cannot cross over from one to another. It is a, um, it is a place of no return, you know? And what about those who repent after they're in hell? People are like, well, you know what, baby? God, the God you serve, God is that good and gracious. When they get to hell, they repent, and then they can, they're like in a purgatory. They'll be prayed out, and they got that second chance. Absolutely not. Remember, I said this before, and you've heard this from other great teachers. In hell, everybody is a believer. Everybody's a believer in hell. But it will be too little, too late for them. Hell is a place of no return. And that leads to another interesting question. If, in fact, we are aware of the sufferings of what's going on with the unsaved in hell, how can we ever enjoy heaven? Do you ever think about that? And I touched on this, uh, I don't remember when, weeks and weeks ago. Have you ever wondered that? Then let's put a finer point on it. How could you ever enjoy heaven if your mate or a child or a grandchild or a parent, somebody close to you is in hell and you know they're being tormented and they're day and night forever and ever. How could you ever enjoy yourself in heaven? Some people will try to answer that question. They'll say, God is going to purge our memories in heaven. You know, there's nothing, listen, there's nothing in scripture that tells us we get heavenly amnesia at all when we get to heaven, that he just wipes our memories completely cleaning if that's the case we wouldn't know each other in heaven we would have nothing no remembrance of what went on in our previous life remember when we die as christians our life is a continuum it's going to continue on into eternity did jesus get heavenly amnesia when he come back after his resurrection no he remembered everything that happened before his life was a continuum and it's going to continue when he comes back to rule and reign one day We'll remember our relationships, and they will continue on in heaven. Well, others will say, the way we handle this problem as Christians, the suffering in hell is the fact that Christians will be preoccupied with the joys of heaven. We won't have time to remember our, those loved ones that were lost and are separated from God forever and ever. You know, think about this. We see that phenomenon going on right now in our lives. 
I'm not my nice hairdo, by the way. Uh, we have that, that phenomenon going on right now as well. Think of this, and I might upset some of you come lunchtime, but I'm going to say it anyway, a great example. We know right now, we read stories, we hear about it. It's been going on for a long time. The millions and millions of children out there starving right now. We had that problem throughout our world. Desolate, poor, third world countries. But let me tell you something. Does that stop you from going and having lunch today? No, it doesn't whatsoever. And it, it doesn't me either. But it, does that make us a bad people? No, we have, God give us food. We have to sustain ourselves and live. Now, you might go to take that bite of food at lunchtime and you may not want it. You can blame me for it. That's okay. But that's a phenomenon going out. We don't think about when we have a Christmas dinner or whatever by Thanksgiving or what Easter, you know, when we sit down and just eat. We don't think about the millions of children and people out there who are starving right now. You know, most of the time we eat with no uh, thought of that whatsoever. You know, we also have Christians around the world. Here's even one more important. Uh, so we have Christians throughout the world who are being burned alive. They're being tortured. They're being martyred, uh, beheaded for their faith. Does that keep us from, from living our lives right now? It doesn't. We ought to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are going through that. But Jesus said in this world, you will have troubles, tribulation, but be of good cheer. He said, I've overcome the world though. But it doesn't stop us from enjoying ourselves for what God has given us. Is it possible that in heaven we're going to be so preoccupied with the joys, the blessings that God has given us that we stop, we stop thinking about what's happening in hell? My time again is to get after my five-year-old now. It's enough, okay? We're about done here. You need to be a good girl. You want that slushy? I got to bribe him a little bit. I'm sorry. Then you need to be good. Be quiet, okay? All right. Uh, some people will say, well, well you, know, you know, wait just a minute. And the only reason we're able to enjoy uh, life in spite of all those sufferings that I just mentioned in others is because uh, we're not like Jesus, you know. Uh, but surely when we become like Jesus, we'll weep over those that are, are in hell. But think about Jesus. Uh, he did weep over the lost in Jerusalem, didn't he? He looked over at the city of Jerusalem and he, he wept for his people. But uh, that's when Jesus, though, was on this earth, though, all right? But all scripture indicate Jesus is not weeping in heaven right now. I'm going to tell you, he did his weeping on this side of the grave. He is not weeping right now. He came as Savior the first time. He's not experiencing anything right now but unending joy and preparing that unending joy that we're going to experience one day in a new heaven and new earth. The writer put it this way in Hebrews 12, 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus suffered on this earth so he can experience joy in heaven. And the same is true for us as well. Psalm 16, the psalmist talked about what it would be like in the presence of the Lord. Look what he said in Psalm 16, 11. He said, you will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forever. That's exactly what it's going to be like in God's presence. Unending pleasure and unending 
joy. Also, some people will say, in heaven we'll understand the plan and we'll understand the justice of God. That's how we'll handle uh, the, the happenings on hell. For the first time ever, we will completely understand the plan and the justice of God. You know, right now we look at all the details of our life that just seem so jumbled. Everything just seems to be so out of sorts, uh, disconnected. There are tragedies that seem to make no sense whatsoever what goes on in this world, much less in our own lives. Yet one day, one day on the right side of heaven, when we see our life, we're going to understand God calls all things to work together for good for those who love God. And the same will be true when we see God's plan for the unsaved as well. We'll understand that those who are in hell deserve that eternal location one day. But there's an inter interesting scripture this morning. Um, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 8 and verse 10, Paul claims when, Christ, when we see Christ at the rapture, he says Christ is dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Verse 10, when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed. For our testimony to you was believed. It doesn't say we'll, we will curse at Christ and ask, how can the world can you do something like that? No, it says when we see Jesus dealing out retribution to those who are not saved, who didn't accept the gospel, what did the scripture say? Christ the judge will be marveled and above all who believe. It's what it says. We won't be second-guessing Jesus anymore when we see him. When we see him in all of his glory, and we understand his holiness, we'll understand his retribution, um, um, retribution to those who refuse to accept the gospel. We'll finally understand it. As horrific as hell will be to all unbelievers, as horrific as that will be, J.I. Packard once said, their hell does not veto our heaven. I mentioned that before. Their hell in no way, shape, or form will veto a believer's heaven. Nothing that happens on earth or in hell will diminish, in closing, nothing at all that happens on earth or in hell will ever, ever diminish by the slightest little bit of the great joy and blessings our Heavenly Father has for us in our future home that awaits us in heaven. Amen and amen. Let's bow together in prayer. This message, uh, not just for Christians, this is the message, they're all for everyone. We just answered the question the best that we could. Do people in heaven know what's happening on earth or much less in hell right now? The question is, the most important fundamental question is, do you know you're going to be in heaven one day? God is, through Jesus Christ, is preparing our final destination, a new heaven, a new earth. We've been talking about it for a couple months now. That place can be yours. Right now, for those who have accepted Christ as Savior, when they take their last breath, when we take our last breath, we're going to be immediately in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. To be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. There is no soul sleeping. Our bodies will be there waiting that great resurrection one day at the rapture. We'll receive new glorified bodies. Do you want to be a part of that? If you're not a believer this morning, 
and God's Holy Spirit is working on your heart and your mind and telling you that the time is now. God's calling you into his family and you know you're a sinner in need of a savior. The one and only way to heaven. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You can make this decision right now because the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Don't hold it off. We're not guaranteed the next five minutes, much less one minute. Make that decision right now. If you mean business and God is meaning business with you, he always does. And he's, he is imploring you through his Holy Spirit to come and to be his family and accept Christ offering of salvation. What did you do on that cross? You can say this simple prayer with me right now. If you really mean it with all your heart, you can say it aloud with me or silently in your heart, knowing God is listening and waiting to open arms to accept you into his family. Say this prayer with me. Dear God, thank you for loving me. And I know that I have failed and sinned against you in so many ways. And I'm truly sorry for those sins in my life. But I believe what I heard today. You love me so much that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sins, taking the punishment that I deserved for my sins on that old rugged cross. And I'm trusting in what Christ did to save me for my sins, but not in my good works, only by, by what Jesus did on that old rugged cross to save me of my sins. God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me. And I'm praying right now, you will help me spend the rest of my life serving you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And if you prayed that prayer and you really meant it with all of your heart, you are now a child of God. One day, you'll be on the other side of the grave and you'll know if this earth is still in existence, you'll know what's going on. But because of the great joy and the, all the wonderful things God has for us, that we'll know that the judgment that is to come for unbelievers, you'll finally understand is justified because we're going to praise God and worship Him and work for Him forever and ever in that future home we have called heaven. You are now a follower of Christ. Make sure you give a great testimony. Tell anyone and everyone about what Jesus Christ just did for you. I did, and I'm sure everyone else did here that's a follower of Christ. The day they come to salvation, they couldn't wait to tell people. I'm sure you'll be the same way. I implore you, tell everyone about what Jesus did, even your lost friends. It may not be popular, but now you're a soldier, a fighter for Christ. With courage, tell them about what Jesus did. Maybe it'll lead somebody to faith in Christ. And then get into a Bible-believing church where they teach the whole counsel of God's Word. From Genesis to the maps, they don't pick out Scripture to go along with the culture, um, what things make, make them feel good that is contrary to what God's teachings are, but that they teach about sin and everything that has infected this world through sin. Make sure they teach you that Jesus is the only way to, to salvation through Christ alone and the teachings in God's Word. They don't stray from it. They teach all of God's Word, popular or not. Most of it's not very popular, but Jesus Christ didn't come to be popular. He came as Savior of all the world get into a Bible-believing church just like this one, Pleasant View Missionary Baptist. Our information is on our Facebook page or on our website, pvbaptistchurch.org. We have great sermons, our um, stances Christians and what we believe is in there. Uh, our contact information is there. You can send us an email and we'll get back with you, Daniel, Will, whoever. But get on there 
Uh, great information. If, if you can't get into this church, get into another local Bible-believing church that teaches the whole counsel of God's Word. Father in heaven, I pray to you this morning that no one of the sound of my voice or any other great teacher of faith out there who heard a great message and heard that call of invitation of salvation, that those who were convicted by your Spirit will not resist that call and they will follow through as God would want them to do. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.